Welcome to the sermon podcast of Midway Christian Church. We're a Disciples of Christ congregation located in Midway, Kentucky. You're always welcome to join us in person or follow us on Facebook or YouTube. Today's reading of Holy Scripture uh, comes from the Gospel of Paul. And before I speak and share my thoughts with you this morning, I felt it would be helpful if you could hear the words, hear words from two different men from two different times in the world, but I think it's very important because I think in a way they both are trying to say the same thing. So I will begin with the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 58. Listen to this secret truth. We shall not all die, but when the last trumpet sounds, we shall all be changed in an instant as quickly as the blinking of an eye. For when the trumpet sounds, the dead will be raised never to die again, and we shall all be changed. For what is mortal must be changed into what is immortal. What will die must be changed into what cannot die. So when this takes place and the mortal has been changed into the immortal, then the scripture will come true. Death is destroyed. Victory is complete. Where death is your victory? Where death is your power to hurt? Death gets its power to hurt from sin and sin gets its power from the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, my dear friends, stand firm and steady. Keep busy always in your work for the Lord, since you know that nothing you do in the Lord's service is ever useless. Long time coming, 
away from the miseries of life. However, we also fear it because oftentimes it requires our effort to adapt to something new. But from the words of Paul and the words of Sam Cooke, played by Tina and sung by Dick, change is the only way for us to move forward. A change is going to come. It was sung by Sam Cooke. This song was written in 1963 and released in 1964. Cook was warned by his record company, the song's never gonna sell, brother. It's not gonna go anywhere, but he didn't mind. By, by 1963, Cook was already a star in his own right. And in May of that year, he was on a tour in North Carolina outside of Durham. And he had the opportunity afterwards to sit and talk with many people who had recently participated in civil rights demonstrations such as sit-ins and, and picket lines. And those stories had a profound effect on him. And he also suffered a type of tragedy that can make any parent lose their mind. He had three children, but his 18-month-old son drowned in a tragic accident. And also that year, he was the victim himself of racism. He and his wife had called to make room reservations. And when they arrived at the end, the front desk, front desk clerk said, there's no longer any room for you or her. And he was ultimately arrested. And also Cook was motivated by another 60s, 60s anthem Bob Dylan's blowing in the, rent, in the wind. And when he heard it, he was very, very impressed with the message. And he was impressed by the fact that a white boy had written it. And he thought, and he thought, and he thought about 
and later talked about that when that song came out, he was performing in theaters and concert halls that were segregated. The white audience had the best seat in the front and the black audience had the best seat in the balcony or in the back. And when Bob Dylan came out with that, he said to himself, I have got to do something like that. He was almost ashamed that he didn't write it. And the result of his personal life loss, suffering racial injustice, listening to the many stories of others' discrimination, and his admiration of blowing in the wind resulted in him writing, a change is going to come. When it came out, it opens with this tremendous music of strings and the kettle drum and the French horn, and this all builds for the appearance of Cook. But while the musical setting is eloquent, Cook's song is very down to earth that anybody can understand. He was born along a river like him that had never stopped rowing. He's been run off when trying to see a movie downtown, arrested for trying to stay in a motel, and beaten to his knees when asking help for his brother. He had moments of fear and doubt, probably we can't relate to. But through it all, he was nurtured by a faith that changes on the way. But he's also fearful because he knows what that change may bring. In the second line sung by Dick, it says, It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die because I don't know what's up there behind the sky. In change, in change, Sam Cooke moves from bigotry and bloodshed to hope and beauty in barely three minutes. The song was finally released on the B-side of a song called Shake, just days after his funeral. And it entered the national pop and R&B charts during the first week of 1965. It peaked on the top, on the pop chart at number 31, and number nine on the R&B charts. Most importantly, it was chosen as the anthem for the upcoming civil rights movement. And I've read to where when they marched across the Pettus Bridge in Selma, they were singing this song. It was also part of the Rolling Stones' 500 greatest songs of all time. Many of you who have heard me before realize that I'd like to understand the history and the full, the full picture, the why, the when, the where, of why things happened, uh, and especially why things happened in Corinth with Paul. When, why, where? Well, his first visit to Corinth was in 50 AD, and he was joined there by Silas and Timothy. The Jewish members of the church during his visit absolutely reviled him. So then he went on to minister to the Gentiles, and he did it right next to the synagogue. And many Corinthians began to believe his message, and included in those was the leader of the synagogue. One night, the Lord instructed to Paul to continue with his message and never be silent. Paul's visit was an extended for 18 months until he departed to be with the Christians 
in uh, Ephesia. And sometime there, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians. Not 1 Corinthians, but he wrote a letter, his first letter to the Corinthians. The letter was later lost forever, but this letter resulted in a pithy reply full of questions from the Corinthians. And these questions were the kind of questions we've seen before. They're kind of trick questions. Better not answer it wrong. He later received a personal visit from several Corinthians who spoke of the division in the church there in very uncertain times since Paul had left. The letter and the visit from the Corinthians led to his second letter, which is known as 1 Corinthians, written three years later in 53 or 54 AD. Well, Paul gets nervous, apprehensive. So he deploys Timothy to go to Corinth and check it out uh, and to continue preaching his message that others may uh, believe. Sometime uh, when, when it came back, I, we don't know exactly what was told to him, uh, but it wasn't good. Uh, the hasty trip um, had become the painful visit. The outcome was not as Paul had desired, and he definitely did not want to ever experience a trip like that. Upon his return to the, be with the Ephesians, Paul sent a third letter to Corinthians, and it was the so-called severe letter. And he delivered it. It was delivered personally by Titus. And Paul later met Titus in Macedonia and heard a very positive report regarding this visit. The severe letter was successful. Being encouraged now, Paul wrote, wrote a fourth letter, which became known as 2 Corinthians. You know, when you, we step back from all the ins and the outs and the issues in the letter, it's unmistakable that Paul is urging something very simple to the Corinthians and very simple to us. And that is how to relate to one another. Chapter 13 of the letter, first letter to Corinthians describes the way of relating, which is love. It is evidenced by the fact that is still being used at weddings even across the world even today. He tells Corinthians and he tells us, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. So many problems in Corinth and in the places that was visited by Sam Cook, and in the places we lived and work today, many of those problems would be solved if Christians were simply kinder to one another. But something was making that little simple idea of being more understanding, more accepting, and being kinder in Corinth and the South of the 60s especially difficult. The Corinthian church was unusually diverse, and the ethics taught by Paul weren't strong enough 
to overcome the present tensions that these differences were making to the community. Paul composed 1 Corinthians carefully together in five blocks of argument, each of which addressed a cluster of related problems. Life in Corinth was a desperate struggle for survival. The elite of Corinth were very competitive and had a cultured view of leadership, and this created a problems with their relationship with Paul. They loved what people looked like, how much money they had, their connections, and how they spoke. In one of the most powerful passages Paul ever wrote, he points out that the Christian God revealed in the crucified Jesus could not be any more different than this. By journeying down into the human condition and ultimately accepting a shameful death, Jesus revealed that God was a reaching God, an inclusive God, who valued each and everybody, everyone, including the most despised and the marginalized. Those that society looked down on, God was as eager, especially eager to reach. The Christian way asked all its followers to be kind and considerate toward one another. It asked the leaders to be sensitive to, it, to the least of these and if necessary to live alongside them. The actions are fairly simple in theory and when the words come out, but incredibly demanding in practice. If they are to take root above all, they require each of us to lead. Christian leaders must help their communities navigate their current locations eth ethically with due depth, sensitivity, and courage, as Paul tried to do for the Corinthians. Paul's final message to the Corinthians, I realize there's a chapter 16, but chapter 16 is more dot your I's, cross your T's, and, and housework. This is really the final message to the Corinthians was contained in this morning's scripture that I shared with you, and it addresses the denial of Jesus' bodily resurrection. Some ancient Greek thinking disliked matter and material things. They believed that only the unseen or the spiritual world was important. Spirit was pure and eternal. Matter was impure and transitory. Spiritual things had been trapped in material things. For people thinking in this way, Jesus' bodily resurrection, it made no sense. It couldn't happen. He was spirit. They rationalized he had his material, material things, including his body. So technically, there was no resurrection. Who needs a bodily resurrection? The whole idea to them was absurd. Needless to say, Paul was horrified by this line of thinking. He argues at, argues at length that if Jesus had not been raised bodily, then no one was saved from their sins and their other problems, including death. And he also teaches that the body in which Jesus has been raised 
It's not like our bodies, which are mortal and die. His was a glorious, imperishable spiritual body. Not long ago, Charles Henry, Terry, Steve, and Carol and I went to Lexington and heard the Gaither Band in concert. Beautiful. And the first part of the ceremony of their concert was kind of like our service today. They talked about it is well with our soul, no matter what happens, it is well with our soul. And he touched us and all of the ramifications of being touched by the Spirit of Christ. And he talked about because he lives, we can face tomorrow, no matter what might come. But then they ended it differently. They ended it by singing, the King is coming. The King is coming. And it's exactly what Paul is telling the Corinthians in this scripture this morning. It's a promise of dramatic change. You know, in eternity, we will not bleed blood to circulate oxygen to our muscles. Flesh and blood are rooted in this current life where nothing lasts forever. There's a radical change and change is exactly what the gospel and Paul promised. Nothing lasts forever. Listen, I tell you a mystery, Paul says. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. At the return of Christ, we will be made alive. We will rise to meet him, and the promise of Paul and the promise of Christ when that happens, it will be forever. And then one day, I'll cross the river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And as death gives way to victory. We have talked today about several that have just done this. Who have crossed the river and, and they saw lights of glory. And they now know he reigns. When the perishable has clothed the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. And Paul almost mocks when he said this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. In the resurrection, death has been defeated. He says, similar to the words that were found in Hosea, Where, O death? Is it? Where's your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where is your power now? All your work has been undone. Our enemies have been defeated, as Paul explains. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is not just good news for him. It's also wonderful news for each of us because the reason he went through his ordeal is to rescue us from our enemies. He gives victory to us. You know, Paul, he didn't know when the trumpet was going to sound. He didn't know when the king was coming. And historically, many people think 
thought that he thought it was coming very soon. That explains his sense of urgency ever and ever. He was with the Corinthians and then he went to, to be with the Ephesians. He sent Titus here. Then he left the Ephesians to went to be with the Macedonians. And many believe the reason he did that was because he thought the end was coming very soon and he wanted everyone to hear it as quickly as possible. But he concludes, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in, not in vain. No good deed will be forgotten. And he told them that because he knew he wouldn't be with them. He had other places to go visit. But he wanted him, them to know, stand firm and do good. No good deed will be forgotten. You know, we talked this morning about change, but something that never changed, and that's God. God never changes, and nothing about him changes. His character traits such as love, mercy, kindness, justice, and wisdom, they will always exist in perfection. The method he uses to deal with human beings have changed through the centuries, but the values and the purposes behind those methods did not and will not. The change that Sam Cooke was, Cook was hoping for, for the most part, did happen. This change was to make his people free from the community's injustice. You know, we've openly embraced this change and we continue to be steadfast, like the prayer said this morning, to ensure that compassionate justice is alive and well each and every day. The change that Paul has promised us is forthcoming. I promise you that. It's forthcoming. We know that. But until then, what do we do? Until then, let us each individually and as a church serve him. Let us serve him with joy. Let us be a church that reflects his life and his teachings. And be a church that lives the implications of our confession. Until then, let us be united in love and always, always share the peace of Jesus with everyone we encounter. A change is going to come. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and the message that he gave us with his life on earth and his resurrection. Help us to understand that change is coming. The king will come. But until the king comes, we have an obligation to you and to him to make this world more pleasing to you. Help us to understand, although sometimes we forget it, help us to understand we have that ability. And we as a church, the Midway Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, 
we have the ability to do even more as a group and help us to understand that also. Thank you for the change you have promised and we know it's going to come. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this sermon podcast of the Midway Christian Church. If you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please go to our website at midwaychristian.org.